Welcome back to Something Private, a podcast about everything related to the vagina, from sex to health and the society. My name is Nicole and I am your producer and host. Y'all know we're still going through a global pandemic, right? I know 2020 has been a big huh for many of us, but the biggest huh is not over yet. In fact, with the resurgence of COVID-19 in many Asian countries, including Bali, by the way, which now has the most number of cases in East Asia ahead of China, seems like we won't be going anywhere for a while. Now, I am an extrovert by nature, so I haven't really been my 100% this quarantine. It's just been difficult and trying. Some days I find it so hard to get out of bed and then I feel shitty and then unproductive and then I spiral and the next thing I know I've been spiraling for four months and it ain't cute. The World Health Organization warns of a global mental health fallout following COVID-19 which means we're all probably feeling some same sort of way, right? Interesting. Why is that so? On today's episode, we're going to do a mental health check-in, pandemic edition. Namely, why and how a global pandemic eventually turns into a mental health pandemic, and how we can use what resources we have on hand to make our situation better. But first, before we carry on with today's episode, I'd like to give a shout out to Talk Your Heart Out, our partners for this episode on mental health. Talk Your Heart Out, or T-Y-H-O, Taiho for short, is an online counselling service that aims to provide mental health support for people like you and me. We're living in unprecedented times, and it can be quite a struggle to get through some days on our own. Taiho's well-qualified, empathetic, and passionate mental health team are available at a time that is convenient to you, from a place that is accessible to you, and at a cost that is affordable for you. Woohoo! Telehealth is the future, let me tell you. Head over to talkyourheartout.com to sign up for your first counselling session now and check out our episode description for more information. But let's break apart the semantics. To begin with, what's the difference between a psychologist and a psychiatrist? So a psychiatrist and um, a psychologist, we work as a team, right? There is no way I can do the job I do without my psychologist colleagues. They're fantastic. And uh, we work synergistically. So we attack the problem from different angles. So my background is that I'm a medical doctor and then I train to do psychiatry. So a lot of times why you need that medical background is because sometimes physical conditions can masquerade as psychiatric illnesses. It's basically ruling out any medical conditions first. And then once we are pretty certain that these symptoms are because of a psychiatric disease, then to make, give them a diagnosis, right? My role is just to make sure that none of these are missed out. If I feel like a patient's coming in and it looks not just like anxiety, it looks like he might have a cardiac condition, then I would refer out to a cardiologist, right? not just medicate the patient. So once I make the diagnosis, then I come up with a treatment plan for the patient. And a lot of times that treatment plan involves my psychologist colleagues. Cool. That's Dr. Kamini Rajaratnam, a psychiatrist at Min Medical Center. Dr. Kamini is going to explain why we feel a certain way or are going through the things we are going through, dig a little deeper to help us understand the science behind why this is happening to our brains and our being. The goal? For us to use this knowledge to cope better and to help our friends and loved ones to cope better too. Personally, as a clinician, I have definitely seen a lot of rising anxiety disorders in my clinic. Not so much depression, but I think that is 
going to come, right? It comes in waves. So we see the, a lot of people with a lot of anxiety. Now, because of the pandemic, it's not just the fact that there's this virus going around, but it has also a lot of far-reaching consequences. A lot of people are facing financial issues. Uh, a lot of jobs are on the line. Uh, and the people who have jobs have been working at home and that's caused like a whole different set of challenges for them, right? It's not the same. You can't be as productive as you are at work at home and sometimes if you have kids and it's tougher because now you need to help them with their home-based learning as well so it's been very very stressful and yes things are easing up however a lot of the stress doesn't just dissipate once the lockdown eases right a lot of the stress is cumulative and almost chronic now it's been what since uh couple of months at least since things have got into a head. So that stress has been building up and it's chronic. So there will definitely be a lot of psychological effects. So how do these symptoms manifest and show up? It's pretty similar to an exaggerated stress response, right? So when you talk about chronic stress, if you can think about a threat, right? Let's say you're crossing the road and a bus comes barreling at you. Now, that's what kicks in, the stress response. Now, the stress response, even though it kicks in immediately, what happens after that is that it's supposed to regulate. Once the threat goes away, your stress response is supposed to regulate itself and it's supposed to come down. Now, when what if that thing coming at you is not a bus? What if that thing coming at you is something like the pandemic where the stress doesn't go away, the threat is still there and there's still nothing that is very definitive about it, right? Uh, we don't know for sure that 100% that everything's going to go back to normal. So that stress is chronic and it's been building for many, many months. So that that results in um, exaggerated stress response, right? So there can be a lot of um, psychological symptoms like um, you can feel very irritable, your mood can swing up and down, you can feel very anxious, you can feel like you don't have like what I said, you know, you don't have energy to face the day and you just don't have the fight in you anymore to do this. So there are a myriad of psych uh, psychological symptoms that you can have. And physically as well, right? Because the stress hormone doesn't just regulate your psychological mechanism. It, it regulates a lot of things in your body. So you can have very real physical symptoms to chronic stress. Um, you can have digestive issues, you can have chest pains, you can have um, aches and pains over your body, you can have difficulty sleeping, you can have um, problems with your appetite, and you know this can swing both ways, right? Some people lose their appetite, some people end up binging to cope with the stress. So there is a lot of um, physical symptoms as well that manifest as a result of this chronic stress response. How can we manage our moods? Yeah. So the key is to first recognizing it. And I think once you recognize that look, I'm always on edge. Things that used to be okay now make me very irritable and I'm snapping a lot more. I'm just not how I was before this happened. It's always recognizing the signs right? and being kind to yourself. I think the first step is just to say, look, what I'm feeling is a very expected uh, reaction to something that is very stressful that's happening around me. And uh, it's not to say that there's nothing you can do about it, right? Um, so there, there have been a lot of researchers who have actually studied what are the effects of all these um, mindfulness activities and autogenic training and relaxation exercises on your brain. Um, and it has shown very real benefits. So the trick is to breaking that cycle 
and bringing down the level of your stress hormone and, and just stopping that stress response, right? So it's in um, making you yourself, telling yourself that you are safe, that there isn't an imminent threat. First, it's about being aware of what you're feeling. So when you feel that your anxiety is rising, and for some people, it's more physical than psychological right? They notice that their heart's beating a bit faster, they're feeling a bit giddy, a bit lightheaded, or they're starting to get tingles in their hands and feet. So when you feel that coming, then you take a step back and you do either mindfulness exercises and mushrooming of mindfulness apps. Now, Calm and Hitspace are two I use very frequently with my patients. And it is proven by research that just after eight weeks of a mindfulness program, your brain, um, I mean, it reacts better to stress than it did before. So that's something that's very, very powerful. It sounds as if these activities are sort of to train your brain to be more resilient, kind of like muscle memory. Exactly. So it's called neuroplasticity. And this is how we are able to learn a new skill or play the piano or learn a new language, right? And you see kids doing this all the time, effortlessly. Now, of course, in adults, it takes a bit more effort, right, to form a habit. Um, it's essentially forming a habit of dealing with stress. And as with any habit, it will take a few months before your brain manages to put that wiring into place. And it takes a lot of effort, but your brain can be rewired. And that is exactly how we treat things like as serious as PTSD, right? Because PTSD is the most severe form of uh, stress response to a perceived threat. So if you rewire that, then you help with their symptoms as well. So the brain is, is fantastic. It's very resilient and it's just a matter of training it to react in a different way. And it's, when that's done, then it, you know your anxiety levels come down and you will see a notable reduction in your physical symptoms as well, or stress, right? So this is of course in, um, this is in, I wouldn't say mild stress, but this is what we call um, in acute stress reactions. Right. For some people, of course, you know, with underlying depression or underlying anxiety, it's not just as simple as rewiring your brain because they do have that underlying chemical imbalance that predisposes them to a relapse. Right. It's, so they are more at risk of that depressive pathway or that anxiety pathway in times of stress. So, of course, it's not to say that these exercises don't help them. They're, they're fantastic, but there is always, uh, you always have to be mindful that sometimes, even with this, that illness can still take over. So, if you feel like these symptoms are not just transient, right, for all of us, the anxiety comes, but then after a while, we watch uh, something on Netflix or, you know, we go out or we talk to our friends and, and that goes away, right? But if you're lying in bed every day and this is happening and it's overwhelming and you're not able to work or you're not able to take a call or talk to your friends, or you're not able to enjoy the things you used to do. Um, and if it's affecting your functioning and if it's every day, you know, if you're suffering with this every day constantly, then that's a sign that maybe you do need to seek further help. And it's not just a matter of doing these mindfulness exercises at home. Okay, so correct me if I'm wrong, doctor, but I, I think there's a huge misconception that people who are depressed depressed or feeling anxious during this period of time need to kind of like snap out of it and you know if if that's the case how do we differentiate severe cases from normal mental health uh conditions or symptoms that we might go through on like the daily for instance again it depends on how severe it is because when the depression gets severe enough sometimes they don't see an end to 
out of their pain. And in that case, then it's going to be very hard for them to reach out for help or to do something proactive. Mm -hmm. Now, of course, a mild anxiety if it's in the beginning stages right if it's just some insomnia you get your occasional panic attacks or things like that then you can say that you do have a certain element of responsibility to do these relaxation exercises to go and see somebody and do you know get the help you need i think when somebody's very depressed a lot of times they cannot muster up the courage or the energy rather just to get up and go and seek help so then I think it's um, very helpful if a good friend steps in or a family member steps in and says like, you know, this is not you and I'm worried for you and come, let's go and get help. So there is a very, there's a spectrum, right? And it depends on where they lie in. Now, of course, if it's mild anxiety and you've given them the information and then it is their responsibility to do the mindfulness exercises. Like you can only bring a horse to water. You can't force them to drink. Something Private is a podcast produced by WeFM. This episode was made in partnership with Talk Your Heart Out or Tai Ho for short. Talk Your Heart Out is an online platform that provides quality counselling services to the everyday individuals like you and me. I've mentioned in our past episode on mental health that I, like many of you, have always felt that my struggle with my own mental health was never severe enough to seek help and yet there are some days I really, really, really struggle to cope. As much as our generation has been more open and accepting talking about mental health, we often don't think we struggle enough to need professional help let alone know where to get affordable services. Besides, for us millennials, therapy is basically escaping to Bali for a week, right? Well, guess what? Doesn't look like any of us will be headed to Bali anytime soon. Okay, jokes aside, this probably isn't the best way to deal with issues like these anyway. So, when the world of telehealth care appeared, I was really intrigued. I signed up for a counselling session with Tai Ho, and since it was my first ever counselling session, I didn't really know what to expect. But the website was very straightforward, very clear. Within three minutes, I had a Zoom call appointment with my counsellor, Lira Lo, the next day. What I really liked about the service was the convenience. Everything was held online and they offered sessions on weekends and after work hours, which meant that I could easily fit a session around my other commitments. I was also happy to see a wide selection of great counsellors that I could choose from and I quite easily found someone that could suit my needs. What can I say about the session? We vibed. The one-hour counselling session from the comfort of my own home went by super quickly. Within that, there were tears, there were laughs. Immediately, I felt super comfortable because ground rules were laid out right at the beginning and the idea of counselling was communicated well, which had us both on the same page on what to expect, what we can take away, and I felt super comfortable and safe. My counsellor was quite sharp in picking out certain pain points that I had. <clears throat> Fear of and she was an excellent listener. I left the session really looking forward to chatting with her again and reflecting on the experience, it's made me realise the power of an act as simple as sharing your thoughts with a willing listener who is very much on your team, who can break things down with you, help you work through your issues and give you practical tools and tips on how to cope. It can be difficult to process everything on your own and leaning on others for support can have great benefits. Remember that. If you are intrigued, interested, 
feeling low or maybe some sort of anxious or you just need someone to chat with, give Taiho a try for an affordable, convenient and completely private mental health service. Head over to talkyourheartout.com That's talkyourheartout.com to find out more and to book your first counselling session now. Feel free to drop us a DM at somethingprivatepod or an email at nicole at somethingprivate.fm if you need help reaching Talk Your Heart Out. We'd be happy to help and check out our episode description to find out more. So there's a lot of talk about the new normal. What's that going to look like for us? I think there has been a lot of um, articles, like you said, on the mental health crisis and the pandemic. Uh, a lot of it started focusing on the healthcare workers and, of course, the patients who've, been, who've recovered from COVID. But now it's actually extending to all of us, right? And it's only normal, like you said, it's a very normal reaction to a tough situation. We're not meant to be under house arrest. Long periods of isolation has shown to have very detrimental mental health effects. And it's not a matter of just, you know, easing the restrictions and everything going back to normal and somehow you're supposed to suddenly snap out of it, right? So once you have this process of anxiety and all this um, stress response that's from the stressor, even when the stressor um, lives, right? So that's what happens. So, so some of us manage to regulate and go back to normal, but there will be some of us for whom the stress response is already in full swing and we aren't able to regulate it. And, and the anxiety persists and the fear persists. And it's a very real mental health crisis that we're looking at. At the end of the day, it's just to be kind to yourself. And if you are going through a particularly rough time, just allow yourself that, allow yourself to process it the way you are dealing with it. We're not all superhuman. Everybody's situation is different. So I, I think just to put the guilt aside and just allow yourself some understanding, do a check-in on yourself. It's so important because by the time people come to my office, they are very severely depressed. I have yet to see somebody who's come in and said, look, I'm not feeling too good and I think maybe I need help. That is the shift I want to see in people coming forward. Like I, I, of course, by the time you're suicidal and you, you haven't turned up at work for a week, yes, that, that by then people will step in to get help. But it's about being aware of what you're going through mm -hmm. and understanding that if you do need help, that there's no shame in coming forward for help. And in fact, the earlier you get help, the, the faster you get better. And the less severe we catch it at, you know, it's just like anything, right? With regards to any illness, physical illness, whether it's cancer or diabetes, the earlier stage you catch it at, the more, the higher the chance that we can get you better. And the faster we can get you better, like you're not suffering for months on end. Do you think that there's less stigma around caring about mental health now? You know, since literally everyone's talking about a global mental health pandemic looming? I think there is still a considerable amount of stigma around mental health, around sitting in a psychiatrist's office. I think there's not so much stigma, though, to seeing a psychologist or a counsellor. Mm. Uh, but somehow the moment you are on medication, suddenly it becomes something that's very abnormal. right? So those are always very good first line because a good psychologist will always be able to assess and see, like, hey, you know, your depression is severe enough. I think you need to see a psychiatrist. If it's very scary to come and book an appointment with a psychiatrist, then at least approach a, a trained counsellor or a mental health professional, like a psychologist 
or even your GP as first line. A lot of GPs are mental health trained and, and they're fantastic at um, treating mild anxiety, mild depression. And so the key is just to get help. Where you get help or who you seek is not that important. But as long as it's a trained mental health professional, that, that's the most important thing. So once you get your foot in the door and once you start therapy, then at least you know that you are on that track. And if things get worse, that there is somebody who can assess and say, hey, yeah, now you need to see a psychiatrist, mm. right? And, and, and get the treatment you need. Is the stigma that if you see a psychiatrist that you are crazy? Yes, <laughs> it is. So I have a lot of, um, it's a struggle, right? Convincing patients that, I mean, at one, on one hand, the diagnosis brings them a lot of relief because they understand that, what they're going through has treatment and there's hope. But at the other hand, there's so much guilt. Like even after they are on medication, even after they see themselves getting better, there is that guilt that, hey, I need to take medicine to make me get better. But I don't understand why that same guilt does not apply to physical illnesses, right? I don't see a diabetic patient feeling guilty that they're on medications or <laughs> a patient with high blood pressure feeling guilty that they're on medications. But yet patients with psychiatric disorders do feel a lot of guilt that they are dependent on the medication. And that is a stigma that I really want to get rid of because you're not dependent on medication. The medication is there to help you get better, right? Because it is a very real chemical imbalance in your brain. And the medication is just there as a float in very difficult times so that you don't drown. It, it doesn't mean that there's something um, lacking in you in that sense that you don't have the willpower or that you don't have the psychological resources to fight it. But there is only so much you can fight if, if there's a huge wave that comes at you, right? So it's not a, a, a measure of how much you've been fighting or how strong you are that, oh, now you failed and now you need to go on medications. It's not at all. So I, I, I reframe and I tell my patients, actually, it's a sign of your resilience and your strength that you're here because... The fact that you have depression means that you've been in, in, in immeasurable pain for so long. And for some of them, it's been years mm. um, before they finally step into my office. And, and that first step is so scary for them. But they're so brave that they did it. And I always praise them for that. Mm. There's it, especially in our current context, there is a lot of stigma coming forward. But hopefully, I hope with the younger generation that that will change. That the conversation around mental health will be something that's not so stressful like you know you don't panic when you hear like oh no my friend says she's suicidal she's depressed what can i do now right that you understand that comes from a place and that, that there's treatment for it okay so moving on to how to help ourselves take steps to get better i know you're very passionate about this area of nutritional psychology so maybe you can tell us a bit more about that so basically because so much of it is um dependent on how on having a brain that functions well Right. So if all the stress response and all that, it, it, it takes for granted that your brain is optimally fed, that your brain is looked after. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately for a lot of us, and I am guilty of this as well, we don't think about feeding our brain. Right? We, we, just, we are on some crash diet or some low-fat diet, extreme low-calorie diet. Now, your brain thrives on fat. It thrives on good fat. Now, this is very triggering for a lot of people to hear, but the truth is that all these low-fat diets are, are doing a lot more damage to your brain than you know. Now, of course, this is for the general adult population. If you have a medical condition where you are, have been prescribed a diet because of that, then 
this does not apply to you. So don't worry about that, right? Um, but generally, you have to take in good fats that are, because your brain is made up of neurons, right? Your nerve cells, and, and they are covered in a sheet of myelin. And what helps that is, is good fats. Right? So that's why your omega-3s are fantastic. And for so long, omega-3s have been researched to have, they help anything from ADHD to depression to anxiety to even psychosis. But there's very little of that research that has trickled down into a diet, from, in, into advice, right? Nobody advises patients who are depressed to go and take a fish oil supplement or include fatty fish in their meals regularly. So it's just about, eating regular meals, not starving your brain. So eat good fats, avocados, coconut oil, olive oil, what else, flaxseed, fatty fish, eat the rainbow. All it takes is just starting the day with a smoothie sometimes. And, and that already gives you your one day's worth of uh, green vegetables, right? So it just you just have to tweak it so that it works for you if you do all this it doesn't just help your brain you know it's systemic right if you're putting in good food it helps your immune system it helps your digestive system your skin looks better um yeah so i, I think just focusing on of course there are very specific foods that have also been found to help with with relaxation and help with your in depression for example like dark chocolate's fantastic um green tea is fantastic because of l-theanine in it so there's a lot of very interesting research and there's a new, it's very groundbreaking. It's the whole gut-brain axis where they're, they're actually looking into how your bacteria in your gut can affect your brain. It can affect your immune system because these bacteria account for so much of our, of our gut lining that they actually send signals to the brain and back. So um, it's just about putting that little bit of effort so that you can reap the benefits. The basis of mental health care really lies in self-care and self-care is something that has become very overhyped and as a result a lot of people say i don't have time to do this hour-long massages or hour-long soaps in the bathtub you know i mean i um but that's not self-care for me self-care is just about creating a lifestyle for yourself creating a daily routine that you don't want to escape from mm. um so it can be as simple as 15 minutes listening to some oldies or some watching something you used to watch when you were younger and that made you happy or it's really up to everyone it can be just a few drops of lavender oil on your pillow or something that reminds you of your childhood mm -hmm. um so for me it's it's just that half an hour of tv time alone once the kids go to bed <laughs> so it can be as simple as that it's not something that has to be very hyped or you know put where you need to put a lot of effort into it's just a it's just a daily routine that you you know that helps you recharge and gives you that time and space to yourself and no matter especially for women whichever part of your lives you're in like whichever phase of your life you're in whether you're in uni or you're you've just started work or you're you know very stressed at um, work you're building a career or if you're building a family I think I keep coming back to self-care because it's the one thing that will save you from spiraling out of control. Mm -hmm. If you can put into place a 15 or 20 minute routine every day that will that just helps you de-stress and helps you just clear your mind and it can be anything. So for some people, mindfulness works fantastic. But for some people, they find it a chore. So just it just has to be a break and it has to be something that de-stresses you because the more you do it, like your brain, right? The more you rewire your brain to get rid of all the stress at the end of the day, then 
the more that stress dissipates and it's not going to accumulate over time. And I think as women, we always, we're always doing a million things. We are always the bottom of our list of priorities. <laughs> um, at, at, no matter what phase of life I've been in, there's always been like 10 things I need to get done and none of those 10 things are, involve my mental health. <laughs> so I think it's good now that, that the focus has shifted, that you know, taking care of yourself is now very in. <laughs> so let's ride the wave and do it. So that's all for today's episode on something private on surviving a mental health pandemic. Please check out our episode description for information on the resources that have been mentioned in this episode. And as usual, make sure to subscribe to us on all the different platforms that you use to listen to your favourite podcast so that you can get notified the minute we drop a new episode. Or if you want to have a chat, feel free to drop me a DM on Instagram at somethingprivatepod. I will love to chat with you guys. COVID-19? Okay, I'll shut up.